Parshish Devarim, the mitzvah of optimism. In Masech the Sanhedrin, we learn that there are four kitos, four groups of people, that ain mikabalos pene shechina. They will not be able to greet the shechina. It means that someone who is included in these four groups, that in the world to come, he will be deprived of the great privilege, the great happiness of viewing the splendor of the divine presence. Now, we won't talk about the first three groups. One day we will, Be'ezer Hashem. But right now we're going to study the fourth of these four groups. <laughs> That's the Kat Misapre Lashon Horo, those who speak evil tongue. Now, even that one group is a big subject, which we wouldn't attempt to undertake now. Rabbeinu Yonah divides that subject of Misapre Lashon Horo into six subdivisions, and each one requires a lecture on its own. And so tonight... We will limit ourselves to talking about the Chelek Hashishi, the sixth Chelek, which he calls Nirganus, complaining. Now, complaining, that's not usually identified with Lashon Hara in the minds of people, but we have to remember that it's Rabbeinu Yonah who's speaking here. He's an important Rishon, and he's teaching us that it is. And therefore, as we're learning this subject tonight, we have to keep in mind that we are speaking about Whatever you're going to hear about complainers, it's going to be under the heading of people who speak the evil tongue and will not merit to see the Shekhinah in the world to come. Now, what is the primary Mida operating? Better yet, not operating in the mind of the complainer. There is a trait of character which is basic to human nature, and that is the Mida of being grateful for benefits conferred upon you. HaKadosh Baruch Hu implanted in human nature a certain reaction of gratitude, and this reaction has to be obeyed and amplified, otherwise we are not human. You want to be a human being? I'm not talking now about a tzaddik. I'm not even talking about a Jew. First thing is, you have to be a human being. And to be a human, you must obey the dictates of the decent conscious. And the decent conscious says to be grateful to everybody. Gratitude to parents, gratitude to brothers and sisters, gratitude to neighbors and friends, gratitude to the people giving you your Torah chinuch, gratitude to your Rebbe and to the Yeshiva, gratitude to the base Yaakov, gratitude also lahavdil to the people who are running the affairs of the community, even to the city, the Gentile garbage collectors, the police, the mailman, all these people are serving you, helping you. A person should be filled with gratitude all the time to the firemen. When you see the big truck speeding through the streets with the siren screaming, that's the time to nurture that natural instinct of gratitude. Tony is coming to the rescue. He's a bum. You expect firemen to be raised in the yeshiva. Firemen are raised on the street corners. And the people on that truck are the ones willing to run into a burning building for you. They might receive one of us with mouth-to-mouth breathing if we needed Khalila. Policemen too. The police don't do anything, but at least they're present on the street to frighten some people from doing crimes. That's also something. They put themselves into danger for you. Don't say it's nothing. They're getting paid. That's why they do it. That's the opposite of how you should think. And that's how you become a complainer. You become a person whose system It is to find faults, to find reasons to complain. Even when someone is trying to help you, no matter how good a person's intentions are, it becomes your tendency to interpret it as an intention 
to wrong you. I once knew a man like that. He always imagined that people were trying to wrong him in some way. And even once in a while, he fled from the synagogue. But because I had pity on him, so I used to send him a committee to appease him. And this went on for years and years. After he was appeased, he came back for some time until the next incident happened. And again, a committee was sent to him. That's called a nirgun. No matter what it is, he finds ways to complain. Not that he's looking to find things. We're not talking now about somebody so wicked to do that. But it became his second nature already because he never learned to be a person of gratitude. So let's say a wife prepared a supper for her husband and he sat down to eat and he was careless. And there was a bit of bone. And as he chomped down on that bone, it hurt him. Maybe it cracked off a piece of his tooth. Maybe he didn't. But he right away complains. He says, why are you careless? You don't care about me and you give me such things? I don't want to bite into bone. That shows you are only interested in yourself. And just put something on the table and don't think about me at all about the consequences. There are husbands like that. She says, I tried, but it's not always possible. Sometimes when you grind up a piece of fish, a bit of bone is ground into it. Now that's what a tongue is for. Now I'm not saying she should tell him that, but I'm telling him a tongue is a wonderful instrument and it's for the purpose of flitting around while you're chewing and touching all the food and discovering bits of inedible materials. But this man is not able to hear that because of his midas ros. He never cultivated his humanity, his gratefulness. And so when he sits down to eat that delicious fish, instead of his soul welling up with gratitude, he has complaints. So many bones. Now we have to understand, we're not talking now about the character out somewhere, let's say in Canarsie or somewhere out in St. Paul. We're talking now about people who are right here in this place and not about people sitting over there, but people sitting right here. Each one of us is a nirgun, a complainer. It's only a question how much he's a nirgun. And so what we're talking here now, we're learning this is not to criticize others or to preach to other people to get better. The purpose is so that each one should understand that it's a lesson for himself because everybody is a nirgun to some extent. Now Shlomo HaMelech in Mishlei tells us a result of this attitude of complaining. V'nirgun mafrid aluf. A complainer separates his friend. It means a person like that causes friends to leave him because they cannot tolerate his complaining. Sometimes you have a person that you know and he passes you in the street and he doesn't look at you anymore. You see him trying to dodge you. He sees you coming and he walks through the side streets. And so you're looking. What's this? He doesn't owe me money. Why is he avoiding me? It's a question many times that you wonder about. Why is it that people avoid me? Well, it's good you came here tonight to find out. Maybe it's unpleasant to be in your company because you're always complaining. Maybe people find it more enjoyable not to have anything to do with someone who's always dissatisfied with one thing or another. The weather is no good and the rabbi is no good. He has complaints against his neighbors and the yeshiva. What happens? He's mafrid aluf. His friends will go away from him. Now his wife might not leave him because of that. She shouldn't, but emotionally, she is already separated from him. Her husband comes home and he's grumbling. What's for supper today? Oh, I don't like that. 
I really wanted fleshiks tonight. Sometimes there's too much salt or not enough salt. Why didn't you get better quality meat? The soup is too hot. I know a case of a man who comes here frequently. Tonight, Baruch Hashem, he's not here. He's going to buy this tape eventually, and he'll hear it. He'll hear the message. His wife called me up. She's having a lot of trouble from him. Nothing that she does is any good. He's always complaining about this and that. His wife doesn't admire him anymore. She's suffering from his nirgonas. How much can you expect from the poor woman? How can she remain his friend? If you're always griping, it's impossible to remain friends with you. Even your children won't like you anymore. Same thing, a wife. A wife who complains frequently makes herself a nuisance and the husband feels estranged. He won't leave, but to a certain extent there's a separation. She complains that he forgot Mother's Day or her anniversary or a hundred other things. She needs a new dress and the chandelier is not nice and the children are too loud. Whatever it is, it builds up and sooner or later it causes a feeling of separation. It's like impurities in the body. They're going to erupt and then it's on the surface already. And nirgun mafrid aluf. That's a way of losing a husband. A complainer loses customers too. Sometimes his boss will fire him. Again and again I've come across nirgonim who are out of jobs because the bosses just cannot stand a complainer. He says, boss, this is too heavy. Boss, can I get out a little earlier tonight? Boss, you know it's hot in here. Or boss, you know it's cold in here. Or boss, why don't you give me a better merchandise to sell? If you gave me a better line of merchandise, I'd be able to make a decent living. So the boss, after a while, is fed up with him. And the boss sends him away. We lose children too. We see in everyday life how the children of Nirgonim go out to Tarbusra, Khalila. How does it happen that Jewish boys and girls go away from us? And some even end up in every kind of cult, including Jews for Yoshke and the Eastern garbage. And people stand in perplexity. What happened here? And the answer is, to a certain extent, Nirgonus, complaining. The child was never satisfied. He always found what to complain about. Sometimes he learned it from his parents. The parents were knocking the synagogues. They were knocking the rabbis. They spoke disparagingly of Judaism. A man called me up one night. His daughter was a Muni, and she was in for a short visit, and he wanted to save her this time. She shouldn't return. So he called me up and said I should speak to her. I was willing, but he spoke to me in such a disrespectful tone. You know, even if you call a plumber, you have to be respectful. He called me up with such a curt voice, and he was insistent. I should do this for him, and it should be done in short order. I should drop everything and speak to his daughter. Now, I didn't tell him, but I wanted to tell him, Mister, you know it's your fault. If that's your attitude towards rabbis, is there any wonder that your children run away from your faith or your lack of faith? If at home you're always complaining about the rabbis, always knocking Lubavitcher or knocking Satmer, so... You're a nirgun. At home, you knock the yeshiva people and the talmidei chachomim. You're complaining about the shul and the cheder and the base Yaakov. So if everything is bad, everyone is wrong, then who needs it? Even the children become separated because that's the final result of a complainer. He's mafrid aluf. He finds himself separated from everyone. Now there's a big question here. 
Because we said in the beginning of our talk that a complainer won't merit to see the Shekhinah in the next world. It means that even if he's there, something he'll be missing. There's a certain closeness to HaKadosh Baruch Hu that he won't have forever and ever. But why should there be such a severe punishment? It's true. You're a pain in the neck and you were mafrid olaf. Nobody liked you, but Hashem likes you. You're from Jew. You're a Jew. But he likes you very much. And so why should this affect one's condition in the next world? Now, Rabbeinu Yuna quotes a Gemara. Al tar bebetarumis. Don't make yourself busy with complaining. Because you might come to a sin, to a bigger sin. Which sin? What's the bigger Aveda? It's in this week's Sedra. And you complained in your tent. And you said, Because Hashem hates us. He brought us forth. To kill us in the wilderness. All of what we said till now about complaining against other people is only an introduction to the worst type of complaining. Complaining against Hashem. A person cannot have a dual personality. If you're a person who trained himself to be satisfied with people, to appreciate what they do, to never complain, so that becomes your nature and that will be your attitude to Hashem. But if you're a complainer against people and situations, you'll be the same ingrate to Hashem. That's a principle that you can't escape from. You just cannot be a complainer against human beings without being a complainer against Hashem. And so even the most from Jew, if he's a complainer, then you have to know that he's angling in for a much bigger sin because he has a certain attitude of hostility to the boyde, actual hostility. Now, if you would tell him that he would say, you're crazy, he is devoted to avoid this Hashem. Look what he does. He learns every day. He goes to Tefillah B'Tzibur every day, everything he does. The answer is that he's doing very little. You know why? Because Avodah Hashem means gratitude. That's the foundation of the service of Hashem. Gratitude to HaKadosh Baruch Hu that He created you. Gratitude to HaKadosh Baruch Hu for making you a Yisrael. Gratitude to HaKadosh Baruch Hu who gives all the benefits of life. Gratitude to HaKadosh Baruch Hu for your feet and your lungs and the weather and your home. Gratitude for everything. If you had to translate Avoid Hashem into one word, it would be gratitude. So you'll say, is that true? When you take a lulav and shake it, does it depend on gratitude? When you put on a mezuzah, does it depend whether you're a complainer or not? And the answer is absolutely. When you take the lulav in your hand, it's not like people do. They pat themselves on the shoulder. I stood for two hours in the Moichas Fodim store, picking this esrog, so I'm pretty good. Hashem owes me a lot. Oh no, he has it all backwards. Because what is he supposed to be thinking when he's shaking that lulav? He's thinking, I'm so grateful to you, Hashem, that I'm going to dedicate myself to you now. I'm waving my lulav and esrog towards you to show that it's only towards you that my heart and my backbone are dedicated. And Hasadim and Aravos too. It means my eyes and my mouth are dedicated to you only, Hashem. And I wave them back in my direction because I'm reminding myself that all good things come from you to me. That's what it means. I'm making nanuim from me to you because I'm declaring that all my devotion is only to you, Hashem. 
and I'm making Na'anuim from you to me because I'm declaring that my dedication to you is out of gratitude for all the good things that come to me from you. And what's a mezuzah for? You pick an expensive mezuzah, the best mezuzah, and you yourself looked it over, that there shouldn't be any negius. Every os is perfect. What happened? You bang it on the door, and then you forget about it. If you're exceptional, so as you pass it by, maybe you'll give it a kiss, and your heart swells with pride at what you did for Hashem. That's already a tzaddik. That's what you call serving Hashem. That's called serving yourself. You know what a mezuzah means? It means, I thank you, Hashem, for giving me a house. A fellow who sleeps on a park bench, does he need a mezuzah? If you sleep in a barrel, do you need a mezuzah? It's only because you have a house, so you need a mezuzah. So Hashem says, look, you don't want to thank me, so give back the mezuzah and go sleep in a barrel. And so if someone is always complaining, the neighborhood is no good, the house is too crowded, the rent is too high, and the toilet is always leaking, so how can he be an Oyved Hashem? It's impossible. He'll do mitzvahs, but it's superficial. It's not a The whole Torah is like that. You put tzitzis hanging in the air. Tzitzis are only on the garment that you have. If you don't have a garment, so there's no mitzvah of tzitzis. So tzitzis means gratitude for clothing. Not like the yeshiva bachar who wears tzitzis, but he never thought about the gift of clothing. Just the opposite. He complains. He wants better clothing, newer, more expensive clothing. Pidyon haben, if you don't have a son, you'll make a pidyon haben. No. So it's all gratitude. Here's a man making a pidyon haben. He went out, found a kohen, and not just a plain kohen, a kohen named Rappaport. He has a yichus brev, going back ten generations. And he looks for old-time silver dollars that are from 1810, real heavy silver dollars, perfect silver. He wants everything to go perfectly. And he's congratulating himself. What a nice fellow I am. I'm medaktik in mitzvahs. Baruch Hashem. That's a true thing too. But what about HaKadosh Baruch Hu? He forgot all about him. Pidyon Aben is gratitude. Gratitude that he gave you a bechor, a son. Isn't that a great thing? A daughter is a great thing too. But a son is even better. A firstborn son. He'll be your right hand later in managing everything. If you have a yeshiva, he could manage your yeshiva for you. If you have a business, he could manage your business for you. A bechor, reishis oni. It's a great happiness to have a son. So you have to be grateful to the giver of that happiness. And so, since all of our service of Hashem depends on our mida of gratitude, it becomes of the utmost importance to stop complaining. A complainer can never be an Eved Hashem. That's what it means. If you are ungrateful for what a fellow man did for you, the end will be you're ungrateful to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's what David HaMelech says in Tehillim. Shatu pihem. They put their mouths against the heavens. Ushonam tihalech pa'aretz. And the tongue moves around on this world, this earth. Again, they open their mouths against Hashem. And the tongues move around on the earth against people. And the Gemara says that David is talking here about the Baal Lashon Hora. So the question is, a Baal Lashon Hara, it's true that he sins by talking against people, but is he talking against HaKadosh Baruch Hu? He's not saying anything against Hashem, Chas V'Shalom. So Tehillim tells him, 
He is. Because once a man gets into the habit of fault-finding, of finding chisronos and criticizing people, he's criticizing Hashem too. He may not say it. He may be afraid to say it. But in his mind, he's full of dissatisfaction with everything that Hashem did for him. And he talks lush and horror against Hashem. Absolutely he does. Why did this happen to me, he says. Why didn't I have success in this and this thing? Why did I lose money in this and this transaction? And he's blaming HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He won't say it, but you have to know subconsciously he is blaming Hashem. If he's a man who blames, don't think he's blaming only people, only circumstances. No, it's impossible to separate. He's blaming Hashem. Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, if you're a complainer, you're complaining against me too. All the time, all I hear is dissatisfaction from you. You're never grateful with what I'm giving to you. I'm giving you a day, a rainy day, a cloudy day, a gloomy day. Who cares? It's a day of life. Did you eat today? Did you wear clothing today? Did you go to the bathroom today? You lived a normal life today. And you're complaining against me. Oh no, you say. I don't mean to complain against you. But it's not true. He is complaining about Hashem too. And eventually HaKadosh Baruch Hu gets fed up and that person loses his friendship too. Because Hashem said already, Vayar Elohim et kol asher asa tov me'od. That everything is very good. Everything is very good. But this man doesn't see anything good. To him, everything is very not good. Now what happens to a person like that? So pay attention. We said before that Vinirgan Mafrid Aluf, a complainer, will lose all of his friends. Little by little they find all ways to go away, to separate from you. They find ways and means of escaping from you, avoiding you. But there's one friend who always stays with you. That's your best friend. It's Akadosh Baruch Hu. He doesn't give up on you. Maybe you'll quit being a complainer and start looking at the bright side of everything. And so while everyone else gets fed up with you and separates from you, he, Hashem, stays by your side. He's hoping you'll come around. But the end is that even he becomes tired of you. He can't take your complaining anymore. And finally, even he separates from you. That's what the Chachamim say. Chazal tells us, in aluf el Baruch Hu. The real friend is HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And sooner or later, you lose that friend too. And that's why this man won't merit to see the Shekhinah in the next world. Because he was Mafrid Oluf. He lost his best friend. And therefore, forever and ever, he won't be close enough to see the face of Hashem. In the next world, HaKadosh Baruch Hu won't want to be too close to him. Now, the Shari Tshuva brings the Pasuk there. In this chapter on Nirgunas, he says, Lomid Lishonecha. Teach your tongue. You have to teach your tongue that way of not complaining. It means it's not a matter of haskama that you agree with him that to be a complainer is a failure. He's telling you that you have to get busy doing something about it. Lomed lishonecha means that you're going to have to train your tongue to be that way. So let's say you make a project for this summer. The whole summer will pass and you won't even say once. It's too hot today. Even once. It could be you're sweating, and maybe you're uncomfortable, too. But you won't open your mouth even once to complain. Now that's an achievement. Or when you come home, you'll never complain that your food is no good, that something is wrong with the food. Imagine a person who practices that. Months pass by, and not one time he complains about the food. It doesn't mean that you have to eat everything. You can say that you're not hungry or something like that. But never complain that it doesn't taste good. 
But the truth is, it's not enough to say that we won't complain. Of course, it's a good start. Absolutely, it's an achievement. And that's why every person, even little boys and girls, should choose certain things to never complain about. You can't do everything at once, but little by little, you train yourself not to be a complainer. But even if you're serious about this project, it's not enough, because when there's an undercurrent of dissatisfaction coursing through a person's veins, it becomes a very difficult task. It could be he doesn't want to complain, but it's always there, bubbling at the surface, ready to explode. And that's why we have to go a step further. There's a Sefer called Orcho Sadikim, and in that Sefer, in one of the chapters, he talks about the Midah of Rotson. Rotson means to be pleased. To be satisfied. Now it's interesting that he considers it a mida. It's a novel thing. We don't find it in other Sephardim that satisfaction is a mida. But the Orcho Sadikim has an entire section about it. About training yourself to learn to be satisfied with your circumstances and experiences. Now why is it so important? Because Rotson is the opposite of Nirgonus. That's why the Orcho Sadikim says, If a person makes up his mind, he's not going to be a complainer. First, he must learn that there's nothing to complain about. He has to train himself to be satisfied with everything that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is giving to him. Instead of walking around and grouching, Oh, it's too hot. It's so humid. Or it's so cold. It's too cold and nasty. It's raining. Instead of that, you'll always speak well of Hashem's world. It's hot. Wonderful! The apples are getting red on the trees. The pears are becoming sweet on the trees. If it wasn't hot, they wouldn't become sweet. People complain against the heat of summer, although the heat of summer is a blessing that causes the fruit to ripen. It's like the yeshiva bachar who walks through the kitchen when his mother is baking challah and cake and he's complaining about the heat. The oven is making the house so hot! But later, when he sits down at the table, he does justice to the challah and the cake and he forgets about the heat. It's too cold? That's also wonderful when it's cold. The earth now is taking a rest from producing, and while it's taking a rest, it's recuperating. All the minerals it lost, all the materials that it lost during the summertime. Without the winter, there can't be a summer. If it was summer all year, the earth would keep on producing, and it would become arid and infertile. That's why the earth takes vacation in the wintertime. And rain? So what if you got caught in a downpour? First of all, who told you to run out without an umbrella? And so, what if you had to change your plans because of the rain? Rain is wonderful. Without rain, we are nothing. We are almost 80% water. Water comes from rain. When it rains, people are coming down from the sky. You came down in the rain once upon a time. The same people who came down from the sky once are grouching now and complaining about the rain. And therefore, when rain comes down, all the boys in the yeshiva are coming down and their future brides, the kalas from Beis Yaakov are coming down. They're all coming down together from the sky. Rain is wonderful. Now, once a person begins looking at the world, the way Hashem said, that everything is very good, so he begins to acquire the smida of rotson, of satisfaction. Not only is he not complaining, but he becomes a happy person, a satisfied person. He learns to love all the aspects of nature, all the phenomena of life. Hot is one type of happiness. Cold is another type of happiness. Rain is another type of happiness. And it's never ending. Even the bee is a happiness. Here's a yeshiva man and he goes to the country in a bungalow colony. 
It's not good over there, he says. The bees are flying around and they can sting. It's a very big nuisance. But actually, you have to be satisfied with the bee and his stinger. If the bee didn't sting, you would never get any honey. It's only because the bee produces a commodity which is very desired by animals. That's why he's given a flaming little sword, a stinging tip with some poison, in order to be able to repel the predators. That's why eventually the honey lands up on your table. If not for that sting, there wouldn't be any honey, because the bee cannot exist without that sting. And not only honey, that's a minor achievement. There wouldn't be any apples or pears or peaches. There wouldn't be a hundred thousand species of fruits and flowers which need the bee to pollinate them. Only you should make sure to keep out of its way. The bee is a man at work. When the Con Edison people are digging in the ground and they took off the manhole and they're digging in the bowels of the earth, who tells you to step into the hole? Stay away from it and don't complain about it either. Be happy that they're fixing your pipes. And therefore, who's going to complain that the bee has a stinger in it in exchange if it gives you so many benefits? But now we have to go one step further because there are certain things in life that are not so easy to find satisfaction with. Things that seem to be worse than the bee sting. And still a person has to realize that the duty of Rotson extends even to things that are not fun at all. A toothache. A person should not be angry at the world and displeased with the Seder Achaim because of a toothache. If you didn't have a toothache, you would never bother going to the dentist and your teeth would be happily rotting away one after the other. Hmm, until you have nothing in your mouth except gums. It's because of that first char pain. It's a notice that you are being sent. Of course, you are always ignoring those notices from the dentist that come in the mail, but not this one. It's a notice, Mina Shamayim. Pain is a bracha. Pain is a blessing. There's a recorded case of a certain person, a woman in Canada, who didn't have the sensation of pain. She was born lacking the ability to feel pain. And one day she was standing over the gas range and cooking something on the far burner. And she was busy talking on the telephone. Meanwhile, her hand was burning. She didn't notice until she smelled the smell of burning flesh. Her arm was half burned through. So when you're standing over the gas range and you have a couple of flames burning on the gas range and you're leaning over to broil something and you feel a sharp burn here, ooh, you burned yourself. You have to realize that that sensation of pain is a blessing. It's a warning signal. Pain sends people to the doctors. Pain causes you to stop overeating. Pain saves your life. And so we have to understand that if a person wants to avoid the great pitfall of Nirgonus, he has to learn to be satisfied with life, and he must learn to appreciate pain. Even the pains of a man who's sick, he gains tremendously from that. He appreciates good health once again, and he's humble too. If a man is lying in bed with the flu, or whatever it is, he becomes humbled. And the dying man, what about his sufferings? What good will come of that? The answer is, the greatest good. He's being prepared for eternal life, and he has to be humbled for that. There's arrogance in every human being, and as he's lying in agony, the last bit of arrogance is being drowned out. If a man is lying in bed and he's rolling in agony, he's not the Balgaiva anymore. Of course, if he'd get well, he'd quickly reassert himself, and that's why the agony continues until the last bit is ground out of his character, and he goes purified to the next world, humbled. Lefonov yichru kol yorde afar. 
before him, it says in Tehillim, before him kneel all those who go down to the dust. When a man is about to die, he kneels finally before Hashem. He humbles his arrogance. That's why it says in Tehillim, Toshiv Enosh Adaka. You turn a man back to destruction. And when a man sees destruction staring at him in the face, Vatomer, and you say, Shuvu Bnei Adam, return, repent, you sons of man. And so destruction, misfortune, is a call to repentance. It saves a lot of people from Gehenna. Very many people have been rescued. Of course, that's more difficult. That's a bigger order to be happy with such misfortunes. But people should know whether they're happy or not. At least rationally, they should know. In their minds, at least they should know this, that it's going to be for their benefit. And even at the very end, they can, as much as possible, practice up in this midah of not only complaining, but of rotson, satisfaction. That's why even when the Bnei Yisrael suffered in the Midbar, they're called nirgonim, because that generation was the foundational generation of our nation. And we are expected to learn from Moshe Rabbeinu's criticism of them. What is expected of us? To be dissatisfied, to be a complainer, that pulls out the rug from under all of a Jew's avoidus Hashem. And that's why their punishment was so severe. It was such a big sin that it created Tishabav. When they sat and they wept for nothing, that became the night of Tishabav. HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, You wept for nothing. You wept for nothing that night. So I'll give you cause to complain. So every year when Tishabav comes, we sit down on the ground and we redo that scene. We sit down and we weep. It's a good thing to think about that on Tishabav. There's a big lesson there. We're weeping for a reason because it first started by weeping for nothing. That's one of the great lessons of Tishabav. Yes, it's a day for the sadness and mourning for all the things that we lost. But we should also spend time thinking about how it began. It began with complaining. And so when we're sitting on the floor on Tishabav, we remind ourselves that this day should be the only sad day of the Jewish calendar. All the other days are days of happiness and rotson. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Let's get practical. Growing with optimism. Our parsha teaches us that complaining is a great sin against Hashem because optimism, happiness, and gratitude are a necessary component of Avodah Hashem. This week I will, Beli Neder, try to grow in the midah of satisfaction with my lot in life, and I will make an effort not to complain about anything. I won't let one complaint pass my lips. Even during the nine days, when we mourn and reflect on what we lost, we can't lose sight of the fact that we are being showered constantly with good. And the first step in Avaitis Hashem is to practice appreciating that good that Hashem and people are giving to us.